Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert, from the wilderness of sin. The whole congregation of Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped in Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do for this people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people. Take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that my people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say together, thanks be to God. The last time my wife Madison and I had a true road trip, a true road trip, I'm talking a three-hour-plus drive together in the car, was for our beach trip this past summer. And this also happened to be Reed's, our one-and-a-half-year-old's. It also happened to be his first road trip, which means it was our first road trip with a toddler, which I feel like is a very important detail about this particular trip that we took. We had thought it all through, though, and I don't think that's going to that's gonna surprise you. We had what I would call a great foolproof plan. We decided that we would leave right after worship that Sunday, one, so that I could preach that morning, but also because Reed typically napped between about 12 and 3. If we were lucky, we could get a solid three-hour nap at that, at that time. So if we could leave close to 12.30 and push his nap back just a little bit, he would sleep for three of the four hours of the road trip. I mean, that's genius, right? It's foolproof. And let me tell you, those first two hours— we felt like super parents. I mean, we thought we were riding high. We thought we had this whole thing figured out, right? What's so hard about this? And it, it makes it even worse that a baby that is sleeping just looks so angelic, right? I mean, we had managed to pack up the whole car. We had our 70-pound golden retriever in the back seat too. Madison was sitting up front with plenty of leg room, and we were ready for the beach. But when Reed woke up, this isn't going to surprise you, right? When Reed woke up, everything changed. And it changed pretty quickly, I, I would say. Because when he woke up, he was ready to go. I mean, he was ready to go. And there was nowhere for him to go except sit in his car seat. We had to stop and do a little bit of rearranging. Uh, our golden retriever, Doc, had to move to the front seat of the RAV4, which was funny in itself because those front seats are not made for large breed dogs, in case you were wondering. And Madison had to move to the back. And there was this one point 
towards the end of the drive where we were stuck in bumper-to-bumper traffic in Foley, Alabama, and our beloved toddler in the back just started to lose his mind uh, a little bit. Uh, he, he wasn't hungry. He had already eaten all of the goldfish that he could possibly cram into his mouth and cheese and bread and chicken, right? I mean, we had tried all of that. He wasn't thirsty, and we didn't have any more milk with us anyway, so even if he was, I would have just made it worse. He had played with all the toys that we had brought. We had asked him what a sheep says, and he says, bah, so many times, and what a cow says, and he said, it wasn't working anymore, right? It worked for a little while. It wasn't working anymore. He wasn't tired, no matter how hard we get him to fall asleep, just telling him if he would just doze off, he would wake up at the beach, and how wonderful would that be for him? He was just ready to not be strapped into a car seat for one more second. And of course, the fact that the car wasn't moving only made it worse because somehow they know that. They know that we're, that we're stuck. The only thing that was kind of working to keep him calm and distracted from his reality was watching a video on Madison's phone of someone seeing wheels on the bus. So we listened to wheels on the bus over and over and over again for about an hour and a half to finish out that that car ride. And during that time, you can only imagine the the eyes that me and Madison were making at one another through the rear view. I mean, they were worth a thousand words, right? And I know the thoughts that were going through my head. Is this trip going to be worth all of this? Are we doing something wrong? I mean, we started off so great, and now here we are. Did, did we mess something up or not think something through? Why did no one tell us how hard a road trip is with a toddler? We didn't really feel very well briefed for this, this reality that we, were, that we were stuck in. Should we just turn around? Would that be a better? Traffic's flowing just fine that way. Should we just turn around and go back? Can we really do this for another, for another hour? And I can only imagine what was going through Doc's head as he was jammed up in that, in that front seat. My guess is that that you've been there before, or at least somewhere like there before, and question the life decisions that got you to that specific place in your life. Because I've learned that road trips with toddlers are rarely easy. I'm sure there are some that are, but I'm sure that rarely everything goes according to plan. And I couldn't help but wonder this week if that was how Moses felt in this moment, in the scripture for today. Because Moses is in the midst of leading the Israelites on a road trip of of sorts. I mean, really starting in about Exodus chapter 13, where Pharaoh lets the people go, all the way through the book of Numbers, this, this people, these Israelites, are on one big road trip. They're traveling from the land of Egypt to the land that God has promised them, the the promised land. And if you thought a road trip down I-65 south with a toddler was tough, I can only imagine how much more challenging a road trip is through the unforgiving wilderness with really no supplies to get you you through. So in a sense, it, it makes sense that these people begin to complain early and often on this trip. I mean, we're just a few chapters in, and they've already complained to Moses and to God several times. If you remember when they were facing the Red Sea and the Egyptian army was at at their back, 
They complained to Moses and to God saying, why would they bring them out of slavery in Egypt only to let them die at the hands of their oppressors? Next, they complained about the water that was at one of their pit stops, saying that it was too bitter for them to drink. Just a few chapters before this moment, they find themselves hungry and, and they complain to God that, that they should have just stayed in Egypt where they had plenty to eat, that they would prefer to do that instead of going hungry in, in the wilderness. And here they find themselves at Rephidim and they have no water. Which, which is serious. I mean, it's one thing to go without food for a couple of days, and it's one thing to have water that is safe to drink but may not taste like the best water you've ever had in, in your life, but it's something completely different to have no water at all. Because people and livestock, they require a significant amount of water to survive in, in the desert. And so they begin to complain to Moses and to God like they have already done before. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst. This happens over and over and over again over the course of this road trip for the Israelites. Where they seem to seemingly forget all that God has already done from them every time they face a challenge. It's like they can't remember that when they were standing at the Red Sea, that God made a pathway through it for them to go. Or that when they complained about the water being bitter, God made it sweet. Or how the last couple of days they have been feasting on manna from heaven, because when they complained about their hunger, God provided for them. What I realized this week, is that despite all of those experiences that this people has had since they left Egypt, they still haven't learned or at least internalized this truth that wherever God leads, God will provide. I mean, here, when they, when they complain to God about having no water, God has a solution, doesn't he? God tells Moses, go ahead, take some of the elders with you. Take that staff that I've already used before in your ministry with these people and strike a rock, and water is going to come from it. Yet again, God provides for God's people. Where God leads, God will provide. I think it's easy for us to, to read these passages and, and read about this time in the wilderness that this people spend and find ourselves pointing fingers at them, questioning how they could not see it. How could they not believe? How could they not remember what God has already done from them and, and, and then know that no matter what they face, God is going to show up? It's almost like it's never enough. No matter how much God shows up and provides for them physically, it's either not enough or they just can't seem to remember the faithfulness of God. But I think we have to remember that this people, they, they aren't just on a, a physical journey. They aren't just on a, a geographical journey through the wilderness. They're also on a journey of the soul. I mean, they are in the midst of being transformed by the redemptive and the restorative power of God from an enslaved people to a free people. I mean, what they're leaving in Egypt is, 
is the oppression and the bondage and the abuse and the domination of Pharaoh and of Egypt. And then suddenly, overnight, it seems in the Scriptures, they are an independent nation who God has chosen. That is a big turnaround. That, that is a massive change for people to process. My guess is that it's something that many of them may not feel worthy of, something that many of them may, may doubt whether or not it's going to actually last or not, or questioning when their luck is going to finally run out, because they've suddenly been put in a position where they have to trust the kindness and the mercy and the love and the grace of God. Because without it, they know that they'll just be right back in Egypt. The truth is that though it's tempting to point fingers, to, to question their faith, to be stunned at their near constant complaining, I think we are more like them than we may like to think. We may not be on a physical journey through the wilderness, but we too are on a journey of the soul. And our story is really that, not that much different than theirs. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we too have been given freedom from the bondage of sin and death. Not from Pharaoh, maybe it, but certainly freedom from something much bigger than us and something that we could not conquer on our, on our own. We too have been gifted something from God that we do not deserve, something that we could never earn, something that I think we know, if we're being honest with ourselves, that we are not worthy of receiving. We too are in the process of being transformed by that same redemptive and restorative work of God through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, from an enslaved people to a free people. And like the Israelites here in this moment, the only thing that we have to do to accept that freedom is to trust. Trust that wherever God leads, God will provide. And look, despite knowing that, despite the many ways that we have experienced the goodness of God, the, the grace of God, despite all the times that we can remember when God provided for us. If you're like me, when you face the unknown, when you don't have control, when you don't know what's next, when you get hit with that wave of anxiety or that wave of worry, if you're like me, you catch yourself doubting that despite what you have experienced God doing in your life and the life of others, you wonder if this is it, if the mercy has run out, if the grace has an end, if this is it, if, if, if this is the moment when we get left in the desert with no water. The truth is that, is that we too are in the process of learning and trusting with, with all of our heart, that where God leads, God will provide. Do you know how that vacation 
turned out when we finally made it to the beach house. We got out of that bumper-to-bumper traffic that seemed like it was never going to end. I mean, it was honestly one of the best trips that we have ever had. I would even go so far as to call it a holy beach trip. And I didn't know something like that existed before this trip that we, t- that we took as a family. It was Madison and Rita myself. It was my parents and then also her parents all under one roof on a house right on the beach soaking up all of the ups and the downs of Reed's first beach trip. Watching him feel the sand for the first time, watching him stick his feet in the ocean and just looking out with awe, right? Wondering what it is that he actually sees and what he thinks that he's looking at. Watching the sun rise and the sunset each morning. Watching a golden retriever run into the ocean to grab a tennis ball. I mean, come on, right? It doesn't get any better than that. We were also celebrating my parents' wedding anniversary. So I got to officiate a vow renewal ceremony for them on the beach with our closest family and friends there. It was a holy trip. And looking back, it is almost laughable to think that in the car we questioned whether or not the drive would be worth it. I don't know where you are in this journey of the soul that I really believe all of us are on, Maybe you're at the Red Sea and you feel the pressure of the Egyptian army closing in on your back. Maybe the water is just a little bit bitter or you're a little bit hungry for some more food or maybe you find yourself without water at all. I don't know if you feel like you're stuck in traffic listening to wheels on the bus over and over and over again wondering when it's going to end. Or maybe you feel like you're sitting on the beach watching the sunset feeling the sand between your toes. I don't know where you are in this journey of the soul, your journey away from the yoke of sin and death and into the land of the abundant grace and mercy and love of God. But wherever you are, my hope is that you would trust with all of your heart that wherever it is that you find yourself on this journey, that God will provide. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey friends, my name is Ross Furio. I am one of the pastors here at Bluff Park United Methodist Church, and I am so glad that you joined us this week for our message. I want to remind you that if you ever want to join us in person for worship, we are here every Sunday morning. We have two worship services, both at 10 a.m. One is a modern worship service in the chapel. We call it the gathering. And the other is our traditional worship service in our main sanctuary. Again, both of those are at 10 every Sunday morning here on our campus. If you need us for any reason, I hope that you will jump on our website, www.bluffparkumc.org. You'll find ways to contact any of the pastors here on staff. We are here for you, here to walk with you through life in in any way that you might need support. We hope that you're going to have a great week, and hopefully we'll see you soon.